Welcome. This is a special edition of To a Certain Degree called Odd Numbers. My name is Nick. Every other Monday, my guests and I choose a theme, we play some music, and we chat. Do we always stick to the script? No. Do we look at the script? Not really. Do we know if there ever was a script? Nope. But it's always a fun talk, and I think you'll like it. Every rose has its thorn, and every apocalypse has its after credit scene. What's your dystopian future of choice? Me and returning guest Ashley Ann Gardner worked out ours during this episode, and maybe you'll learn a thing or two. For example, did you know baseball is an allegory for the Black Plague? That's 100% true. It's a good thing Ashley was here to help me fact check. And now, on with the show. The Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever on WPRK. Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to a certain degree. This is a very special episode of To a Certain Degree. It's called Odd Numbers. I have a guest. That's correct. I have a guest. Yeah. I have a guest every week, but this week is uh, a special episode. I wanted to have somebody back. Ashley Ann Gardner is here. Good morning, Ashley. Good morning, Nick. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, of course. I'm happy to be here. I'm turning up your. I'm turning up the wrong mic. I'm turning up your mic a little bit. La, 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 la. There we go. You're very (laughs) soft-spoken and wonderful. Oh, thank you. Do you get that a lot? No, I'm actually, um, I'm very loud sometimes. Really? Yeah, very, shout, I shout across rooms, across, you know, public parks. (laughs) I'm going to turn that back down then. Malls. (laughs) Um, As you know, you may have seen her around malls uh, in the area. Yeah. Uh, She'll be the one shouting. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the only one, but, but a one, a one, mm-hmm. probably the loudest, uh, Ashley Ann Gardner, um, writer, playwright, singer, songwriter, yes. uh, an actor, actor. <laughs> and the reason you're here is because you're very dedicated to your craft and you have a show opening shortly. Yes. Yeah. And so you wanted to come in. I was like, Hey, I would love to have you back sometime thinking that it would be sometime in the future. And you said, well, how about Monday? And I said, okay, but we need a theme. And so we'll come to the theme in a minute, but I wanted to get to, and we'll talk about this quite often, uh, is A Doll's House. And oh, that's opening yes. on Friday. Yes, it's opening on Friday. So how much How much would you like to know? Would you like me to go like full into detail or just like the basics for right now? Uh, just give us the basics for right now. I know you can go to dollshouseplay.com yeah. to get tickets and do other things. And it's running... Uh, three, the next three weekends, basically. Yeah. So we, uh, a doll's house is opening at CFC arts, uh, which is just off Ivanhoe, um, in downtown Orlando. It's a beautiful, beautiful theater and they, the quality of their shows is just really top notch. Um, and I'm really proud to be able to, to do a show there. I was recently in uh, noises off there Mm -hmm. in September and Everybody there is just really wonderful and really supportive. And so we opened Doll's House this coming Friday on the 11th, and then we run until the 27th. But our schedule is a little different because we are also doing a Doll's House in collaboration with the Orlando Shakespeare Theater, uh, which is doing a Doll's House Part 2 by local playwright uh, Lucas Nath, who was nominated for a Tony Award for the play. Really? Yeah. Uh, so the play was on Broadway and it was only like a, a few or a couple of years ago. This is really recent. Um, it also part two is really recent. And 
Yeah, uh, t- you can you can buy tickets for both of them at uh, Doll's House Play. Doll's House Play dot com dot com uh, for the uh, Doll's House at CFC and then Doll's House Part Two at the Orlando Shakes. So there's a day where we're doing a double feature, so you can see a Doll's House at CFC Arts. At two o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday, the twenty sixth. Yep. Yeah. And then uh, right after that, if you buy the special ticket to go see Doll's House Part Two at Orlando Shakes, there is a buffet dinner at the Orlando Shakes in the oh, patrons neat. room. Yeah. And uh, after the after the buffet dinner, then there is a talkback panel with um, the the directors of both shows, and then the Noras and the Torvalds of both shows. And so that was going to be a question of mine. You are only doing a doll's house. There's someone else cast as Nora in a doll's house too. Yes. Oh, that's so neat. Yes. Um, Suzanne. Uh, oh my gosh. Oh, I can't believe I'm blanking on her name. We'll look it up. We'll okay. look it up. Suzanne, if you're listening and I know you are. She's, oh, she's so wonderful. She's, I really, really love her. Um, we, Did you guys get together and talk about, okay, how are we going to play this or how would you play this differently or how are you approaching the character? Because it's sort of two different time periods, right? I don't want to give too much away. Yes. Oh, but, Suzanne O'Donnell. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so you're playing Nora uh, prior to when Suzanne is playing her. Is that correct? Yes. Um, so I play Nora. Nora's about, I want to say 26-ish. And uh, that's what um, Robin Olson our director for Dolce's part one, um, she, we have established for her. She's uh, Norris 26. And then it's 15 years. Dolce's part two is 15 years after. Okay. Um, yeah. The first one. Very neat. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't think we mentioned this yet, but a doll's house was written by Henrik Gibson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you've done a little research on it and I want to dig into a little bit more about it. It has nothing to do with the topic today, by the way. Cool. Uh, but it was a really compelling story once I started reading a little bit more about it, like the different ending that he felt obligated to do for Germany yeah. and some other things about it. So I do want to dig into it a little bit more. But the most important thing is dollshouseplay.com. People go check it out. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be a great play. You mention it as sort of a, uh, you know, it's it's changing your your perception of what it means to be a feminist to an extent. Oh, yeah, totally. what I saw on mm-hmm. uh, social media for you. Yeah, absolutely. And so I want to talk a little bit about that as well. But we do have a topic. Today is odd numbers. And so we have to talk about dystopian futures. Of course. Because this was a really interesting uh, feedback loop to get on social media when I asked for <laughs> people. Um, one is a lot of people didn't understand what I was asking for. So I wanted favorite dystopian futures. I wanted things that you're looking forward to in a dystopian future. Oh, okay. And some people thought I just wanted a list of dystopian futures. So I hmm. thought that was pretty interesting. Okay. One I'm going to start with is uh, is one of mine, actually. I, I wanted to see what you thought of this. I don't know if you ever saw the movie or read the book. It's Stephen King. It's called The Stand. Oh, my gosh. My mom loves that movie. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm totally familiar with it. Yeah. So what I liked about it is in the future, after some sort of apocalypse. So this is the apocalypse has happened. We get an after credit scene, the survivors, right? And so let's assume we survive. So Ashley, you and I have survived. Okay. Uh, the stand is essentially what I liked about it is the, you know, I didn't like this part is that some sort of super virus wipes out most of the population of the earth. And uh, the people that are left over, 
it, the the what I liked about it is it's a very clean cut good and evil story. Yeah, there's literally a devil character. There's literally the hand of God comes down towards the end. No spoilers, but if you haven't read it or seen the movie yeah. at this point, it's a little bit uh, old. But I, I like that because I feel like in a lot of the post-apocalyptic movies, we're our own worst enemy, right? We're going to screw things up more than the zombies or oh, the yeah. diseases or anything else. But in, in a book like The Stand or a movie like The Stand, I know who the good people are and I know who the bad people are. And maybe I'll fall on the side of the bad people. I don't know. I can't tell what I'm going to end up doing. I think you'll probably end up on the good side. Oh, thank you. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that you'll probably end up on the good side too. Maybe like, you know, like chaotic good and then like lawful good. Yes. That kind of, yeah. Yes. I could maybe see that. But yeah, that's what I really appreciated about that one. Did you have any dystopian futures? Did you understand the topic? Because I, I think when we say dystopian future, everyone thinks that it's negative. I feel like, I don't know, my dystopian my favorite ideal dystopian future would also include zombies. It's I just, would. it's just so, it's so adventurous. It's, you know, I just, I really enjoy, I really enjoy like taking a swing at, you know, something coming at me. Oh, so you, okay. So your ideal dystopian future would allow you to get a lot of your aggression out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and do you have a lot of aggression? I'm here in a room with you oh, for no. the next two hours. And <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to scared. I'm not going to strike at any moment if that's what you're. Yeah, that's not. That's yeah, not no. I, from what I understand, you're building it all up. I just I don't encounter a lot of adventure in my life, and ah. so I'm looking. I'm looking for a little, you know, like batting practice or you know, you know, archery practice or something that can really get me out there and be more active. And I think that the zombie apocalypse would do that for me. So you're also looking for an exercise regimen. Yes. Is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Is that uh, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, good, good. I'm glad we're getting it down to the heart of it. So what I'm thinking is more on the zombie land side, a little bit more lighthearted. You may kill Bill Murray, that sort of thing, rather than like a 28 days later, which is all just running. Running. God, I would rather, I would rather just take, take a big swing at something that's coming at me real slow than have to run anywhere. Yeah. I'm not a runner. I'm a, I'm a, I think I'm a hitter, a boxer. I'm a boxer. I'm so glad you didn't say swinger there. (laughs) I really appreciate that. Uh, So let's go to some of the suggestions uh, from other people. 1984 came up a few times. Now, George Orwell uh, again, I think it was people kind of thinking that uh, we're just looking for dystopian futures. But again, there's some comfort in somebody watching over your shoulder and judging you constantly, right? Mm, yeah. It's yep. like being a child again in many ways uh, with maybe an overprotective helicopter parent, if you will. So I think that uh, there is some positive to it. Would you agree with that? I I would agree to an extent because what to a to, to, to a certain degree to a certain degree to yeah. a certain degree I would agree. Okay. Yeah, because I feel like when you're told exactly what you should do at every moment of the day, mm-hmm. you you are kind of given the freedom to think about things 
you know, in your, in your spare time kind of. That's a really good point because that's the whole, like, um, I think a, a couple of the recent presidents made that pretty famous, but Barack Obama was like that. He always had the same thing for breakfast. He always mm-hmm. uh, wore the same suit or whatever it was that he, he did so that you saved sort of your decision-making and your thoughts for more important, higher-level things. Yeah, of course. That's a tr- So do you do that? Do you feel like, okay, I could wear, if it was socially acceptable, I could wear the same thing every day, just black T-shirt and jeans, if I could do that for work or whatever your uniform of choice would be? I think my uniform of choice would be a, a set of jeans or, like, slacks, you know, like chinos or something. Sure. With a striped black and white shirt. And that's it. I mean, that's, yeah, that's it. I mean, a pair of like Converse or something. Well, yes. Uh, you, shoes. We, uh, shoes. Shoes yes. are important. Yeah. yeah. But you wouldn't have, you know, a bunch of different outfits you had to wear in order to establish that you know what you were doing. Like your credibility is established by the way you look when you first come in, even if it's somewhere you've been a bunch of times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. And then if somebody sees you walking down the street, they will know automatically that it's you. Oh, they won't I like have that. to guess. Like, like if somebody forgot their glasses that day, so unfortunately, and you were walking down the street, they could be like, "Oh man, oh that's Ashley." Oh, uh, so it becomes like your superhero uniform. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, the only problem with that is, of course, there is the su- the comic book trope of the person imitating you. Oh. So if you get single white femaled, oh no, right? That's always a concern of mine. You know, with the beard and everything, yeah. I could see that <laughs> happening quite a bit. Let's see what, okay, so 1984 came up a lot, um, which is not the one with the talking animals. No, that's Animal Farm. Got it. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think if we had more talking animals in 1984, it would be a much more lighthearted romp. What about Brave New World? Uh, No one mentioned that. Oh, I think that that is the most pleasant one, even though it's really, really messed up. Is it? Yeah. Okay, tell me about it because I don't quite remember it. I read it. I read it like three years ago, and what Back I can. You're in high school. Oh my god, no! When I was <laughs> when I was in grad school, I all all I really remember about it is that they take they take these these like medicines that make you feel happy all the time, and then everybody is encouraged to like date everybody else, and it's it's really nice on the surface but when you get right down to it it's not the best and there's like one guy who refuses to take the of course there's always that one guy there's always logan from logan's run there's always the dude from soylent green who tells you what it's made out of there's spoilers yeah it's like look we're just in our dystopian future can you just leave us alone just let me live my life uh, I did want to talk about some unexpected. So obviously there are the obvious, obviously there are the obvious. Um, there are the stories about a dystopian future and it's very uh, obvious what they are. Now there's some unexpected ones out there. So I just wanted to talk about a few of those today. So I did some research, I did tons of research about this. Okay. So I don't know if you realize this, a song Many songs have been written about dystopian futures and characters and such. Uh, but one that you may not have expected, Poison, Every Rose Has Its Thorn. No way. Yeah. Every rose has its thorn, mm. just like every night has its dawn. Yeah. 
just like every cowboy sings a sad. That was the biggest one that I think. And they're, you know, uh, C.C. DeMille, uh, which is one of the band members of Poison, is like, guys, really, every cowboy sings a sad, sad song? How did you not get that, that it's about the apocalypse and a post-dystopian or a post-apocalyptic future? Wow. You know, I never made that connection before. Yeah. C.C. DeMille is a big listener, so shout out to C.C. Hey, what's up, C.C.? <laughs> so let's play a song while we consider uh, all of Poison's back catalog. Uh, oh, so did we talk about who we heard? I think we mentioned who we heard. Rolling Blackout CF, which stands for? Coastal Fever. Yeah, that's very nice of you to remember that. That was uh, Talking Straight that we started that out. Uh, you've been kind enough to come out today, Ashley, and also uh, pick out some of the music today. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, of course. So now we're going to hear from Mitski. I always feel like I should just, it, there needs to be like a Mitski. Yeah, it's like the something it. in the back of your throat, yeah. like all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe you like swallowed some water accidentally. Exactly, and- which happens to me a lot. I think I have a drinking problem. Uh, so this is from her brand new album, Be the Cowboy. Uh, tie-in. Yeah. Maybe this is post-apocalyptic. We don't know. We'll have to ask her. I think she's coming in soon. That would be so cool. It would be so cool to have her here. Oh, no, I meant in Orlando, not here. She oh. won't do this show. Oh. <laughs> we had a falling out several really? months oh, ago. I'm yeah. so sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. Maybe We're I can talk to her. It. That would be great. Yeah, that would be great. At the very least, like I don't want her to come in necessarily. I just want things to be kind of smoothed over. Yeah, I'm making smoothing motions with my hands, indicating that I may not know what smoothing means. And closure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's good. That's good. Okay. So this is nobody from her brand new album again. Dystopian future. Nobody. It's a stretch. Okay. Well, we'll go with it. <laughs> You're listening to WPRK Winter Park, Florida. My name is Nick. Ashley Ann Gardner is here. And this is Mitski. You're listening to a certain degree. This episode is brought to you by Beside Yourself. The CIA, the NSA, your internet service provider, hackers, fishers, credit card skimmers. Everywhere you turn, someone is trying to steal your identity, your financial information, and they are spying on you. You probably shouldn't go outside at all. Can Beside Yourself keep your identity safe? No chance. So why don't we give you someone else's identity? Fight fire with fire. In the basic version of our service, we give you an identity from another one of our customers. We switch identities every 60 days so no one really knows who you are. Need a security upgrade in your communications? Guess what? You're sending letters now. We reteach you how to write in cursive so no computer can scan your writing automatically. Order now and our technicians will install a phone booth near your home. If it was secure enough for the Sopranos, it's secure enough for you. Besides yourself, untraceable, untrackable, probably legal, open an account at toacertaindegree.com. Mitski on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. That was Nobody from her brand new album, Be the Cowboy. You're listening to Odd Numbers. My name is Nick. I'm here from 7 to 9 every Monday. Every Monday, I have a very special guest. This week is definitely no exception. A returning guest. Ashley Ann Gardner was here uh, last year when you had a uh, a couple of plays, actually. You had two one mm-hmm. acts uh, being performed. Yeah. Uh, you wrote both of them, and you were directing one and starring in the other, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. I do remember correctly. Sometimes it happens. 
Well, that's very fortunate because sometimes I can't remember anything. I'm not even going to try to say the name though because the names, because I always got them mixed up. Oh no, it's okay. It was ghost and funeral party. And funeral party. Because I always wanted to say ghost party because that sounds like a blast. Well, that's actually, that is how we shortened it. Oh, so, it was just ghost party? Yeah, ghost party. So we, not officially, but whenever the cast and the, the production team would talk about the show, we would always say like for ghost party or like on social media or like chat messaging or yeah. something, we would, that's how we would abbreviate it is ghost party. And that was our hashtag on Instagram. Oh, that's great. Very nice. But now you're in a new uh, play. You're uh, starring in it. Yes. A doll's house. A doll's house. And this was very interesting. I was starting to do some research on it because I wanted to sound like I knew what I was talking about. But Henrik Ibsen is the writer of it. It's a very famous piece. I don't know if it's his most famous, but it seems like it's it's pretty well up there. And there were a few things about it that I found really, really compelling um, in terms of the story that it's telling. Because it's for me, uh, a play is often... A new play is great and it's it's wonderful, but sometimes when you're looking back at these historical pieces and what they meant at the time and sort of the controversy around them, mm-hmm. that was pretty compelling as well. And I think there was a lot of it around uh, this particular play with Ibsen. Yeah, absolutely. So um, this play premiered in 1879 in um, Norway Oh, gosh. I hope that I'm saying, I hope that that is correct. <laughs> it's, it's one of the, yeah, it's Scandinavian yeah, areas. Countries, yeah. yeah, It takes place in Sweden, though. And it's, it, I mean, it's basically about this woman who borrows money without her husband's consent or without having a man co-sign on the loan mm-hmm. for her. And she, but she does it to save her husband's life because he has, what we have established in our show is that he has a mental breakdown um, because he's under a lot of pressure. And so she borrows this money from a man named uh, Nils Krogstad and she has to pay off the loan over a period of like nine years. And she's not done yet when Krogstad approaches her and he's like, I want my money back and everything. And then, um, or I, w- I want my money and I'm also losing my job at the bank where your husband is now the boss. And if you don't get my job back for me, then I will tell your husband everything and you're going to be in big trouble. And so by the end of the play, um, Torvald, her husband, figures out through a letter that Krogstad has placed in the box, the mailbox, that Nora has done this. And Torvald freaks out and he's he's very angry. And he's like, ah, could you do this to me? Like, I loved you. And then um, and then at the end of the play, Nora walks out the door and leaves her children. She has three children. And in our show, they're named Emmy, Jan and Ivar. And in, um, in Doll's House Part 2, one of them is named Bob. Um, but Emmy, Emmy is the youngest child is featured in Doll's House Part 2. And then she leaves her, her three children and her husband and she goes away. And back then when the show premiered, nobody knew what happened to Nora. Right. Yeah. It was just kind of up in the, like, what is she going to do? She's, she's going to um, either become like a, a laborer, like cleaning houses or, or something, or um, like going to sex work. And that was really the only two options that were available to women at that time. And she doesn't know anything because she's been brought up as a child, pretty much. So her her father treats her like a child for her entire life, and so does her husband. And so when the play premiered, people, when she walked out, people went bananas. They, they just went bananas, and they're like, why would a woman do this? But the thing with Ibsen is that he writes about 
his he writes about the middle class mm-hmm. and Ibsen is the father of, re- of realism and theater. And he's writing about real situations in everyday homes. And everybody was like, oh, this is monstrous. And he's like, yeah, but you don't realize that I'm actually talking about you. So people, it's not that people didn't understand. It's that they did understand, but they didn't want to talk about it. Right. So they if, didn't want to understand. Yeah. And yeah. so, and so if, if somebody was unhappy in their marriage, they're not going to talk about it because that's not like the thing to do. Nobody had marriage counselors back then. Um, so they kind of just wrote it out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, people were in such an uproar and then they had him write uh, a second ending where she comes back and she changes her mind, which is defeats the whole purpose of her leaving in the first place. Right. I think he was pretty upset about it yeah. mm-hmm. afterwards that he did it. He felt like it was a just a mockery. And I don't know that anybody uses that ending anymore. That's been sort of no. thrown out by the theater community yeah. entirely, uh, which is pretty neat. And that was just for, if I remember correctly, it was just for Germany, yeah. right? Uh, because German audiences, they felt, wouldn't uh, do well, would freak out even more. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Potentially, as they do as German audiences do at the theater, as we all know. <laughs> Well-known thing. So that's opening this weekend. Yes. Uh, so dollshouseplay.com uh, mm-hmm. is the place to go for ticket information and to learn about not only a Doll's House, yes. which Ashley is starring in, uh, but a Doll's House 2, uh, which is also happening at the same time. This neat little um, uh, collaboration uh, at the same time between CFC Arts and uh, Shakespeare Theater. Yeah, yeah. Really fun. All right. It is really good. fun. Okay, so let's get back to, uh, again, nothing to do with the doll's house. This just happened to be the topic for today, and you happen to come on today. And I'm so glad because as a self-described expert on dystopian futures, and you're so excited about them. I thought that was the really neat thing about them. <laughs> I did want to talk about one that I'm super excited about. I thought this was a neat one. Just from a, I, I'm not nostalgic about a lot of things. Like I was an 80s kid and I hate 80s music. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And so uh, I am nostalgic for a particular video game series. So when uh, a friend of mine um, uh, Rocky Soka from What's the Fuss podcast mentioned Earthworm Jim as a potential dystopian future. I don't know if you remember that. It's no. when an anthropomorphic uh, earthworm fights other anthropomorphic animals in a video game setting, which would be pretty awesome if all these animals were running around. Like there was a bounty hunter that was a cat and all these other animals. Anyway, it got me thinking about uh, one of my favorite video games that I spent a lot of time watching, not necessarily playing with my roommate, watching him play, was Resident Evil. Oh, okay. Really scary, a lot of jump scares, that sort of thing. So when the first movie came out and I went with a couple of friends of mine, it was just a lot of fun. It was just sort of all these callbacks to the video games and all these other things. And then it just got into the realm of the ridiculous. Like this future is so crazy um and the movies are so insane like it they still made money so they still kept making them Mm -hmm. and they were just like okay it almost felt like they didn't want to make them anymore so they're putting in more and more ridiculous things every time yeah and it just got silly like the types of vehicles that they had and the special uh, abilities that everybody had they like you could shoot anywhere and hit something it was really neat so that's where i would like to potentially live the rest of my very, very short existence 
is sort of a zombie apocalypse, kind of, mm-hmm. but man-made zombie apocalypse, pathogen, pandemic, uh, superpowers movie. Okay, cool. How many How many movies are there I of Resident Evil now? I think there were eight. I oh. think they just made the final chapter, <laughs> and they called it that. <laughs> Because I think Mila, Mila Jovovich was finally like, because I think her husband is the one who makes the movies. Oh, okay. So she's like, okay, dude, we can't do this anymore. She put her foot down. I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and imagine that's what happened. Yeah, she put her boot down. She put her boot down. Boot down. And Because um, I am <laughs> from Canada. And yeah, so she decided that that was, that was enough. Man, I agree. <laughs> I haven't even seen the last... Three, and I agree. Yeah. It, it was too much. It got silly. Mm-hmm. It got a little silly. And uh, yeah, so I'm good with that one coming to an end. But I just remember like countless hours watching him play, telling him what to do. Because everybody loves that when they're playing video games is having like the backseat. Dr- no, 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 try pushing that. Yeah. Don't forget to shoot that guy. He's coming up. <gasps> yeah. Oh, yeah. It definitely feels like backseat driving. You're right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Still a lot of fun for me because I was the backseat <laughs> driver. Do you have any video game uh, memories of any dystopian futures or any other dystopian future movie-wise that you would uh, you would uh, think about? Well, I'm already living my video game dystopian future because I can't play them because uh, I get really, really bad motion sickness yeah, unless I play like happen. a side-scroller. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I can play Mario. So um, Earthworm Jim would be a good one for you. Okay. Cool. Yeah. You'll have to check that out. Yeah. My partner is really into um, really into video games, and so I'll have to like check that check that out. Try if you can stomach it. Try telling him what to do in every scene. Okay. And, yeah, I think that's a good way to uh, to really build a strong relationship. Yeah, a really strong bond. Um, let's go to a couple of movies that you probably know. Let's go to Disney's Pixar universe. Oh, for a second, okay. because there's two movies that jump out at me. One very obvious dystopian future that gets even more dystopian-ish. And then one that I think we don't think about enough in terms of a dystopian future. So do you know which one I'm talking about? (laughs) It's one of them cars. It is 100%. (laughs) It has to be, right? Yes, because how ridiculous is it? It's so ridiculous. And where do they come from? Why are they living like us? Why do they have all of the things that we have, right? And so the idea is that obviously there was some sort of cataclysm. People had to hide in their cars, and they eventually evolved into the inside of their cars. Oh, see, I'm what I'm thinking is like maximum overdrive Stephen King type. Oh, where they just yeah. came to life Sentient. somehow? Okay. Yeah. So it's just a representation. So it's like uh, Tesla's. And the AIs within those coming to life. And this is just, it would be really boring to just watch cars, regular cars talk to each other. So they anthropomorphize them. Yeah. Okay. I like that one too. Mm -hmm. I like that one too. I think either way works, but obviously post-apocalyptic. But we can agree on that. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was so creeped out the first time that I saw cars. And it's not because, you know, the cars were anthropomorphized, but like, it, it was just, I don't know. It, like, why Why do they have, why do they have people stuff? It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. It just, <laughs> maybe it is because they're anthropomorphized. <laughs> like, usually other things I don't have a problem with, you know, but cars are weird. There's this big logic hole 
in it. And that's, and that's your brain trying to fill it. Your yeah. brain is trying to fill that hole. This really weird uncanny valley yes. like place. <laughs> All right. And the other one is the obvious one is Wally. Oh. Now I know what you're gonna. I know what you're thinking, but here's the thing, Wally, and they've made this. Uh, a couple of people have made this uh, analogy with it. Is that it's um, uh, the original sin story as told through robots. So Wally is actually Adam, and Eve is Eve. Eve. Yeah. And what happens is, we're the humans are in the Garden of Eden in space on that spaceship that's there to take care of them. And yes, they're horribly overweight and everything, but they have everything they ever wanted. And Wally brings them back to earth, which is a garbage dead dump of nothingness. Now, having said that, forget the analogy to the Bible for a second. Mm. I want to stay up in the spaceship I don't want to come back to Earth really? and grow things. That sounds really hard. Oh, man. But the best things in life are you have to work for them. Sure. But if you grew up on the spaceship, all you know is the spaceship where they bring you everything you want oh, yeah. all the time, every day. Slushies. Correct. Milkshakes. Yep. You get to go by the pool. You get driven around on one of those little... Um, uh, unicycles. Yeah, but what happens when you fall in the pool? Would you just like drown if you're it's not able to natural swim? Natural selection. Okay. Yeah. There's <laughs> still got to be a somewhat, uh, you know, of then, that. Then that's fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> then you're in for that. Yeah. Yeah. You're in for the robots. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's see. Let's go back to literature for a second. Uh, obviously, Philip K. Dick came up uh, with Do Androids Dream of Electric mm. Sheep? And of course, the movie version of that, which is. Uh, I've never pronounced it before. I believe it's Blade Runer. Oh, Blade Runer. Yeah. Blade Runer. Oh, yes. yeah. I think if we're doing a Hendrik uh, Ibsen uh, episode, then we should do Runer. With the, the umlaut, umlaut yeah. over the O. Yeah, yeah the U. Yeah. No, so uh, Jim Inziello, former guest, uh, suggested do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. And then Jesse James, who's a future guest, uh, suggested Blade Runner, the movie, which is, uh, I think would be cool, like Flying Cars. So what's interesting to me is we had the 50s where the future was filled with promise of these wonderful flying cars and these other inventions that you were going to have, you know, uh, food in pill form, and which actually sounds awful, yeah, um, and all of this. And then in the 70s and the 60s and 70s and, and 80s, we got the future that is Big Brother and everything's going to be bad. Government mm-hmm. and corporations are going to take over and run your life. And that sort of thing, but still flying cars. Still flying cars. That's an upside. Either way, you get a flying car out of this. It, like, just Oprah just distributes them. Well, no. First, Oprah freezes herself. For, hang on. First, Oprah. First, Oprah. Yes. Second, cryogenic sleep. Great. Third, you get a flying car, and you get a flying car, and you get a flying car. Everyone has flying cars because of Oprah. Can we just, when we write about this later on, this experience, because obviously this is going to go down in history. It's the mm-hmm. first show, by the way, Happy New Year, first show of 2019. Happy New Year. Ashley Ann Gardner, uh, returning guest, talking about dystopian futures. This is going to go down in history, and they're going to write books about it. The title of one is going to be First Oprah. First Oprah. First, comma, Oprah. Not First Oprah. 
but first, first comma, comma Oprah. Oprah. I would like to say though, I really like the dystopian future that Blade Runner has to offer yeah. because it's so noir. It is, and there's ads everywhere. Mm. I do like that about it. I do like being told what to eat and drink mm-hmm. when I'm just looking around. And I'm not talking billboards. I'm talking, uh, you know, these these huge, huge advertisements. You know, it's, as soon as they can beam them right into my mind, I would really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about one more unexpected one. Like if you look back and you really research it, uh, Nickelodeon's Rugrats. Oh, man. Dystopian future. Where everyone looks like the animations? Yes. So our world just turns into an episode of Rugrats. It basically turns into it. it, it uh, we don't know how many people are even alive in Rugrats. Oh, wow. Right? Because it's after everybody. Now we have talking babies. Uh-huh. You know, that's obviously dystopian future. That's you very want, weird. You don't want babies talking that early. I have a question, though. Yes. Is this dystopian Rugrat future, is it the first season of Rugrats before they got their animation style down? Or is it like the third or fourth season? Because the first season is terrifying to watch. Yeah, I think what they had to do was they had to soften it up. And they realized, okay, while we were trying to write a story about what's going to happen post-apocalyptic future and the intricacies of having to Mm. deal with talking babies and other things that are happening within this pickle, pickles, what are you going to eat in the future? What is still left over? Pickles, of course. Pickles. They stay forever. In the pickle family, right? There's all sorts, like they were really throwing it out there, the metaphors and the the clues that this was a dystopian future. Um, They said, you know what? It turns out Uh this is a kid's show. Now, the creators and the writers were surprised. I'm sure the voice actors were as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, So they kind of softened it a little bit. They softened the animation style to be a little bit less hectic and Mm. uh, not quite so horrifying. And to appeal to younger audiences. To appeal to a younger audience. Mm. Because they knew that if they made this story appeal to a younger audience, that younger audience would be ready, more ready anyway, for the apocalypse. You know, that's really smart. Just preparing your young people yep. for, for the eventual like demise of society. If there's any young people listening, and I know there are because we're big, this is a big uh, draw for young people. This this hour of the day, seven to nine. Oh, I bet. The most dystopian time of day. <laughs> uh, you know, that's just, just be prepared. Let's just leave it at that. Be prepared. Okay. So we're going to play another song. Uh, Let me see. We have uh, Christine and the Queens. The album name is Chris, and I believe we're going to play number three, The Walker. Are you just picking dystopian future song titles? No. Because we had nobody, and now we have The Walker? Well, I mean, you know what? If I told you, I would have to, you know. Play more music? Play more music. Excellent. That's really good. You're listening to Odd Numbers on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. This episode is brought to you by Fly Me to the Prune. Speaking of sustainability, get all your local greens, blues, and other colorful produce without cars and with catapults. Our food delivery system is as organic as it is dangerous. Place your order today at toacertaindegree.com. Christine and the Queens on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida, from the new album, Chris. That was The Walker. 
Good morning, my name is Nick. I'm here with Ashley and Gardner for a few more minutes this hour and then for another hour entirely. The time flies. Oh, definitely. They went by very, very quickly. And if you missed any of the show, uh, two things you can do. One is this is going to be a podcast (gasps) soon enough. I'm a little behind on my podcast, but I'm going to turn it into a podcast. You can also see Ashley this weekend and the weekend after and the weekend after that. I mean, you could see her probably more often, but Mm -hmm. you can pay to see her. That sounds weird. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at the uh, CFC Arts, uh, uh, putting on the uh, uh, a doll ha- a doll's house, mm-hmm. a doll's house, a doll's, the doll's house. house, a doll's house. Mm-hmm. I wanted, yeah. So obviously, I do a lot of research and I write it down and then I don't look at it. It's by Henrik Ibsen, dollhouse dollshouseplay dot com. Eleventh through the thirteenth, eighteenth through the twentieth, twenty fourth is a special episode. How would you call that? It's like it's, it's a special uh, industry night performance. Perfect. So it's it's Thursday, Thursday, mm-hmm. uh, and then the twenty fifth, twenty sixth, and twenty seventh. Yes. Correct. Yes. Okay. Good. Everything about that sounds right. So we only have a few more minutes. I would like to talk about uh, post apocalyptic future. I thought this was a really interesting storytelling device. It's a cartoon. Mm. It's called Samurai Jack. By Jendi Tartakovsky. Um, You may know him from Dexter's Laboratory. He did that. And Samurai Jack was his follow up. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things, one of the interesting things about that was uh, he never ended the series. They just canceled it without an ending. And so they did eventually bring it back so that he could put a conclusion together for it, which I think as a writer would be really interesting. Let's say you're doing a seasonal type of story. And it's canceled in the middle of it. And then you bring it back. I, I'm going to go ahead and say like 10 years later. Yeah. I wonder if what was in your head for what the ending was going to be in that 10 years, it changes, right? Because oh, you're, yeah. a, you're a completely different person. Mm-hmm. You've gone through several uh, layers of skin when you molt. Oh, people molt, right? Yeah. I'm pretty okay. sure. Like cicadas. Yes. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like cicadas. And so, yeah, I think you molt with your brain as well. And so the original idea may be something that, you know, you don't even like anymore. You don't think is right anymore. Yeah. But what I liked about it, though, was the way that uh, I think his name was Akai or something like that. The bad, Aku was the bad guy. So he is, this is a samurai, Jack is in sort of feudal Japan. So this is back in the day when they had samurais. And he's fighting a coup. And a coup is some sort of magical being, demon. And so instead of killing Jack, he he realizes he can't defeat defeat him. He sends him thousands of years into the future so that now a coup has no mortal enemy and takes over. So when Jack wakes up, he finds that he's in the future uh, that a coup has made. Okay, so this is factual. This happens, yes, in the, in the TV show. Oh wow! Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. So first episode, he sends into the future. Whoa! So he's always trying to get back to his uh, his wife and kid in the past. <gasps> oh, because wow. he's sent away from everything. So he's got to defeat a coup and then somehow go back to the past. What I liked about it though is if I and I'm not going to name any names. I'm not going to say if my enemies, if I sent them into the future, I feel like. I wouldn't have that sense of urgency mm. immediately to do anything. Yeah. I would take a break. 
Oh, yeah, of course. Like if it's 2000 years in the future that I have to worry about, you know, them coming back, I'd be like, yeah, you know, first hundred years, I'm just going to kick back and relax. Yeah. You know, do you feel like that's something you would do? Like, what would you what would be the first thing you do? You, you have your enemies. They're preventing you from taking over. You send them into the future, let's say 2000 years. Yeah. When do you really start working at, you know, getting ready for them to come back and creating this this world that's based on what you want? Hmm. Well. How much of a, of a vacation do you take now that your enemies are gone? Oh, gosh. Ten years. Ten years? Yeah. Okay. I would take I would take a 10-year vacation. First thing I would do is make a cup of tea. Decade. Let's go through it. Okay. Cup of tea. Cup of tea. Um, year one, year one, day one, hour one, cup of tea, cup of tea, then plant an herb garden. Great. Yes. Great. 10 years seems like a, enough time for it to grow. Yeah. I'm not sure how long it takes herbs to grow. Could be 10 hmm. years. I depending. mean, some, basil, basil, just, you cut off a sprig, you put it in some water and it grows roots. You can grow 16 basil plants from one little basil plant. Do you feel like, this is my only concern with this, so far you're doing very calming things and what I'm realizing is this may prevent you 10 years later from really going back into getting ready for your enemies. Okay, what about like uh, signing up for a kickboxing class? I like it. Okay. I like it. So you're finally going to master kickboxing. Yeah. Good. Um, I think I would also learn... I would learn a different language. I would learn like Swedish or, um, you know, like Italian. Oh, I like it. So in case you wanted to go international mm-hmm. with your villainy yes. and get some new minions mm-hmm. from different countries, that's yeah. a really good idea. Because I think the one thing, the one downside to having minions from other countries is they could be saying things behind your back. Right. And you don't know. Wouldn't even know. Uh, listen, if there's any, I know there's a lot of minions lift, listening. Don't do that. It's that just is incredibly mean. rude. If mm-hmm. you have something to say to the villain that you're, you know, henching for, uh, then just say it to their face. Now yeah. you're going to get dropped through a trap door, but it's a little more honest of a relationship. Well, you know, I think I would appreciate honesty, so I wouldn't drop them through a trap door. I would, I would sit them down with a nice cup of tea oh. and be like, "Listen, you, you want to." Tell me what's going on. Let's have a let's have a little chit chat and chit chat. Yeah. Let's let's get some herbs from the garden mm-hmm. and we'll make some I don't know, polenta. Yeah. We'll fry up some polenta. Yeah. I just knew you were big on polenta. I don't know why. Yeah. Let's play a song. We're gonna take a little break and come back with Ashley on Gardener. We're gonna talk about Doll's House a little bit more. Uh, but right now we're gonna play Darby Wilcox and the Peep Show. This is called H. Just the letter H. H. Wh- H. Which one is it? Number three. Number three. H. H. Cool. Yes. All right. I'm glad you approve. Uh, you'll hear that on WPRK, Warner Park, Florida. You're listening to Odd Numbers. This episode is brought to you by Cold Dish. Have you ever eaten at a restaurant? Psh, you don't have to brag about it. Disposable income must be great. If you've ever had a terrible restaurant experience and a social media post or bad Yelp review just isn't enough, Cold Dish is here to help. Just pull up our app on your phone and request one or more of our service trucks to simply sit in front of the offending business. Why just sit there? Because there's service trucks from companies such as Acme Rat Feces Abatement, 
Frank's murder scene cleanup hose rental, and Black Mold Camouflage Installation, Inc. Cold Dish, your anger, our trucks, their loss. Download the app now at toacertaindegree.com. The Decemberists on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to A Certain Degree, a very special episode of To a Certain Degree called Odd Numbers. And uh, every week I have a very special guest. My name is Nick, by the way. I don't know that I ever say that. And every week I have a very special guest. Ashley Ann Gardner is here for another hour. Yay! I don't think that's enough time. Yeah. So, I mean, just in general, hanging out with you, you're such a delight. Thank you so much. So are you. Uh, The Decemberists are a band you're fond of. Is that fair to say? Oh, man. That is... Wow. Yes, that is true. Understatement, maybe? Understatement of the year, but but you are right. You are very right. Okay. You are very right that I'm fond of them. They are my favorite band, um, my absolute favorite band. I am, I'm currently in a, a group on Facebook called the Church of Decemberism, uh, and <laughs> we call ourselves the, the, the congregants. There's a music video from uh, uh, an album of theirs. Uh, the last album that they had, and it was kind of like the video was kind of culty. It's mm-hmm. uh, the Caval- cavalry captain, and um, and it's kind of like Colin Malloy in the video is like the leader of this big, huge, mega cult church. <laughs> so we kind of took it from that, but yeah. So maybe that's them. something that he's looking forward to. Oh, maybe you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> and you would be a willing parishioner there. Yes. Yeah. All right, very good. So what did we hear and what album is that? We just heard Severed off of their brand new album, I'll Be Your Girl, which came out earlier um, last, now it's last year in 2018. Yeah, 2018. Happy Mm -hmm. New Year. Happy New Year. First episode of the new year, we're doing odd numbers, we're doing dystopian futures. And so I would be remiss if I didn't mention a uh, past guest is directing a dystopian future. Let's talk about the theater and dystopian futures for a second. So we have uh, coming up at Valencia East, our good friend, uh, Mr. Jeremy Sagers is going to be directing Mr. Burns, a post-electric play. And that's by Anne Washburn, Mm -hmm. which sounds like a really interesting take on storytelling and how it's done, but through an incredibly familiar setting, which is uh, not setting, but um, story, which is The Simpsons. Yeah. So it's, uh, if I understand it correctly, tell me if I'm wrong, they are going to be in the future, something has happened, and there's no electricity, so they're telling the story of an episode of The Simpsons. Mm -hmm. And then they go through sort of these iterations of further futures where uh, the people who have heard these stories have never seen an episode are going to try to reenact it. Yes, that's what I feel like it is about. Okay, from, great. from what I've been told, there's um there's a play reading thing uh, club that um that Jeremy and um, Megan Rotano, who's a local actor and director and producer, um sh- they put together. And this this past weekend, they read um, John, I think, by Annie Baker, and then uh, their new play that they're going to discuss this month is Mr. Burns. And from what I can tell, yeah, it's exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. Um, they just, they, it's kind of like um, oral tradition. And so they use this exactly, oral tradition, yeah. yeah, to tell the story of this one episode of The Simpsons, which I think is the Cape Fear episode. It, that is correct. Which is actually a retelling of a movie yeah. <laughs> uh, itself, which is a remake. 
because there was it's the De Niro version of Cape Fear, which is a remake of yeah. the original version mm-hmm. of Cape Fear. So layers upon layers upon layers. So many layers. It's like a cake. Yeah. Aww. Story cake. Story cake. That's what plays are. They're just story cakes. Story cakes. Many, many layers. Uh, the other one that jumped out at me that I saw uh, here at Rollins College, as a matter of fact, was You're in Town, the musical. Oh, yeah. Which was a lot of fun. And mm-hmm. it was uh, so you could take any post-apocalyptic or dystopian future is really just set up some sort of government that's taken something away. Mm-hmm. So in some cases, they've taken away art or free thought or something along those lines. In this case, they took away the right to go to the bathroom. Uh, You have to pay to go to the bathroom, and so it's an awful future for those people who don't have enough money. Dehydration everywhere. Trying to save money, just dehydrated all the time. Uh, So there was that one. There is one that I want to mention that I'm not sure is a dystopian future. I've never seen it. I've just seen, you know, stills and things like that, and it just seems like it's a dystopian future. I could be wrong. Cats. Cats. I'm sorry. <clears throat> cats. The musical. They dress up like cats. They sing about being cats. There's some sort of older cat with a staff oh, who yeah. I think is, you know, I don't know if that's um, something from Lord of the Rings. Deuteronomy or something? Sure. I don't, I don't actually know. I know there's Mr. Mistopheles yep. and then there's like Griselda, but I think those are the only one. Rum Tum Tugger. <laughs> Cats used to be one of my favorite musicals when I was little and then it just kind of played, like faded out. So from what you remember, and I hate to be wrong, I love to be right. And I don't want to, I don't ever uh, say something unless I know for sure that it's a fact. Okay. I think we've established on this show many times. <laughs> Would you say, is it just said in the present and they're cats or is it a dystopian future where cats have kind of taken over? I would like to think that it is like, it's, it's the future Mm -hmm. and, and cats somehow cats have evolved to have people, people bodies with cat faces and tails and acrobatics and dance moves. I mean, look, we're getting a cat cafe in downtown Orlando. So that's the first step. That's so exciting. For the entire cat takeover. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but I definitely think that cats is set in the future in some kind of weird, like, cat people. It's sort of like lizard people, mm-hmm. you know? If the oh, cat yeah. people just came out, <laughs> they're like, yeah. hey, guys, we're here. <laughs> hey, cat people. I think that would be very cool. I think it'd be very interesting to talk to my cats as people and see what they're thinking. Oh, man, I don't, huh. I would be really scared to talk to cats yeah. Yeah. They probably they have a lot of opinions. Oh and yeah. Maybe not all of them are constructive. Yeah, I think that's that's fairly <laughs> accurate. Let's go back to literature for a moment. So I had a lot of suggestions, some of which I don't know anything about, which was very nice. So there was uh, something called the Starhawk trilogy. Oh, I don't know. Uh, about that's that. from Julie Wilder. That was an interesting one. The first book is called The Fifth Sacred Thing, hmm. and it was sort of something has happened as it as it does. And sometimes the thing is not that important. I think sometimes we get hung up on that, whether zombies or super volcanoes or asteroids or whatever. It's what happens afterwards that is really important. Yeah. And this one is the uh, sort of something has happened and split up the U.S. into different nations. And so the San Francisco area is sort of this very ecological and sustainable uh, sort of area. And there's other parts of the country that are not quite that. 
Um, and so they go to war at some point, or they're preparing for war in that one. Uh, obviously, 1984, Rebecca Renner and Mary Beth Hebner suggested that. Mary Beth also suggested uh, a science fiction. A lot of science fiction books come up in this. Um, you know, whether it's, I guess, Maze Runner and The Hunger mm. Games are sort of oh, yeah. essentially science fiction in many ways. Uh, but Seven Eves was a really interesting one. And that's mm. by Neil Stevenson. What happens is the moon, something happens to the moon. Again, it's not super important what happens because everyone's still curious about it. It splits up into seven parts. Okay. It gets hit by something, whether that's a micro black hole or uh, it was aliens that did it. But basically what happens is it destroys the earth. Oh, the tides. Oh, can you imagine? Well, the tides? because what happens is they start um, crumbling into smaller and smaller pieces. Oh, yeah. And it starts falling towards Earth, basically creating a oh. dust storm. Actually, uh, a lot of heat at first. Okay. Uh, because what happens is all those micro asteroids just heat up the atmosphere and everything mm -hmm. dies. So it's about man's uh, attempt to escape that. Uh, the initial issues that we have with each other in space when we're all thrown up there really quickly. Uh, and then what survives thousands of years later. Wow. Yeah, it's a really neat book. So I definitely recommend that one. And then uh, let's go to, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm not allowing you. I know you have an entire list of dystopian futures that you would like to live in. Um, one, uh, everything is covered in yarn. Okay. Yeah, uh, that is pretty dystopian. It just, it's so soft. So it's a good problem to have. Everything is is knit based, yes. right? Uh -huh. um, and so the economy is, uh, food is, mm -hmm. uh, everything has a cozy though, which is nice. Yeah, you never burn your fingers. Mm -hmm. The condensation from your from your cup never gets on your hands. You never drop your cup accidentally. So basically, nothing bad ever happens, and so that could lead to some interesting storytelling opportunities. Well, everything is just really inconvenient. Oh, is it? Yeah, it, it's like everything's covered by a everything's small, covered by a small like yeah, layer, layer of yarn. Of yarn, mm -hmm. yeah. Huh. I like that one. I like that one a lot. Let me go to one that you may not expect. Okay, is a dystopian future baseball. <gasps> I don't know that you know this, but in the 1600s, when Anthony baseball discovered baseball. It was an analogy, it was an entire analogy for a dystopian future because they were thinking still about the Black Plague and things like that. Oh, so yeah. the ball is the is the disease oh, oh. and it's coming at you. So the catcher's mitt is like the pancreas. Right. That's what it represented. So as the batter, you could hit it and that means you're getting rid of the Black Plague. Okay. And... Or you get, it goes by and you strike out. That means you got the black plague. And back in the day, they would give you, the, they would rub the black plague on you if mm. you struck out. Wow, that is so unlucky. Yeah. And so the bases became the uh, the symbols of the different stages of life that you would get to. Oh. Right? So oh. first base, you'd become a young man, typically. Mm -hmm. uh, middle age is second base. Third base is old age. And home, you're dead. So yeah. then if you got to home, if you got a home run, this was really interesting about the game. And I think uh, this is why it didn't catch on in the 1600s. It was more towards uh, the latter half of the 19th century. Yeah. That it really got big when they sort of forgot a lot about is you would get home and they would say, oh, you're an old man now. You're dead. And they would rub the Black Plague on you as well. Oh, so it was really it, you, there was no way to win. If you think about it. That's so invasive. It's it's yeah. privacy. 
just out the window. Here's some black plague. Rub it on your shoulder. And yeah. gosh, cruel. <laughs> a little black plague on your shoulder. You could just brush it off a little yeah. bit. <laughs> There's no head in black shoulders. Wait, that didn't sound right. Uh, you, you know, because of the show. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. That was terrible. Um, so baseball, <laughs> yeah, is an analogy as well. How about we play another song? Sure. How about more Decemberist since yeah. you're uh, a little bit of a fan? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seventh on this album is called Everything is Awful. And it's it's a fun song, uh, uh-huh. even though it says everything is awful. Um Dystopian Future. Dystopian Future. Everything is awful by the Decemberists. On WPRK, Winter Park, Florida, you're listening to Odd Numbers. This episode is brought to you by Sikkim. Tis the season for a lot of ill, snotty people. And when they show up for work, we all feel bad for them. But we also want them to get away from us as quickly as possible. That's where Sikkim and our proprietary quarantine facility comes in. Heard someone cough? Call us. Did someone say bless you? Bless us, because now you won't catch that cold. Within 30 minutes or less, our specially outfitted Airstream trailer will be at your office, so you don't have to be Nero, patient zero. Your ill coworker goes in, and they don't come out until they are well. The Sikkim vehicle has multiple types of chicken soup, including vegan and gluten-free options. It has oxygen. We did test this out. And this version does have a way for them to breathe. And most importantly, there's Wi-Fi. So they can keep working. And they have to keep working. Sikkim. It's not an RV, it's an RVV, a recreational virus vehicle. The Decemberists on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You're listening to Odd Numbers. My name is Nick from 7 to 9 every Monday. I talk to people. I talk to one person typically, sometimes two people, mostly one. And I have a good time. And they have a good time because I'm a pleasure to talk to. Yeah. Wait, I haven't introduced you yet. Oh. So it's weird. It's breaking like (gasps) the fourth wall that, okay. Ashley Ann Gardner is here. Good morning, Ashley. Good morning, Nick. Okay, that's better. <laughs> Ashley is here representing a show that's opening up on Friday. We're going to talk about that. But uh, we, we were told during the break that we did have the description of uh, Mr. Burns, a post-electric play. Correct. Yes. So that was very nice. Uh, and Jeremy Sagers also mentioned that 1984, which is a dystopian future, which we're talking about today, is opening over at the Garden Theater in Winter Garden, and it's going to run from March 1st to March 17th. So I'm glad he told us about that. He did not mention whether or not Cats, the musical, is a dystopian Mm. future or not. So I'm going to assume it is, because if anybody knows dystopian futures, it's Jeremy Sagers. But let's get back to you, Ashley, and talk about your play, which is not a dystopian future. It's It's very much an honest look at... A relationship in the late 19th century. Yes. Um, and I think it's, you know, there's a, there's a few reasons that I think, and it's an, it's an Ibsen work. Mm-hmm. There's a few reasons that his work has translated and has lasted as long as it has. But from your perspective as a playwright and as an actor, why do you think it has and what is like the most compelling thing about this story that you're excited about? I really love the fact that Ibsen writes such real and believable characters. Um, Ibsen doesn't write anyone who's completely bad and anybody who's completely good. Uh, All of his characters are very human. So um, these people may do, they may make choices and decisions that are not the best 
or like bad decisions. They may do bad things, but they're not bad people. Um, one of the things that I was talking to um, Suzanne O'Donnell about who plays Nora in Doll's House Part 2 at The Shakes um, is that the way that the show, the show is written is that everybody is doing things out of their need to either um, protect someone else and um, protect that other person's well-being or to protect themselves and their family. Um, and I think that, that Krogstad is a really good example. Krogstad plays the money lender that Nora gets the money from who threatens her with blackmail. And he is trying to provide for his sons because she still owes him money. And he also is released from his job at the bank that uh, Nora's husband Torvald is the manager of. And so he's trying to get his job back because he wants to make sure that his sons are, are going to be okay. And so that's why he's so desperate. And yeah, he's not using leverage to gain something else from her. He just wants, you know, his money back. Yeah. Um, but then he's also hoping, he's putting her in, in a tough position, but it's not like it's super shady. He wants to, like you're saying, wants to provide for his uh, yeah. his kids. Well, he's not he's not doing it out of like any pure evil malice like Krogstad isn't evil he's just he's very desperate and he's he says he's going to stop at nothing to make sure that he gets his job back um for the sake of his children mm -hmm. and the same I think can be said for Torvald um Nils Krogstad is played by local actor director writer um producer Scott Browning and then uh Torvald is played by Michael Geniak um uh, another uh local actor and director and he the way that, that Michael plays him is so wonderful because he's Torvald is so nice and pleasant and kind. And then when he finds out about this loan from that Nora took out from Krogstad, he loses everything. And and so Torvald is a product of his times. No one has told him any differently um, the, uh, the way to act. So he treats his, his wife like a child, but no one has ever told him, don't treat your wife like a child. It's it's hard to get woke in 1879. Oh, yeah. definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the thing that I love about Ibsen is that everybody is so believable. Um, they may speak in a different way than we do now, um, but the situations are the same. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the whole theme of the play is that nobody communicates. Nobody talks about anything that they should be talking about. Like Nora and Torvald, this, the end of the show shouldn't be the first time that they have a serious discussion. It should be, you know, before they get married. Um, and, and somebody shouldn't have to, you know, be desperate, be that desperate to get their job back that they like ruin somebody else's life. <laughs> and was that Ibsen's goal to an extent? Was it just to capture realism or was it to put a mirror up and say, you know, there's something wrong with this or maybe there's a better way to do these things. Oh, I definitely think it's, it's putting a mirror up to society. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the show is actually based on the life of a, a friend of Ibsen's. Her name was Laura Keeler. And she asked Ibsen for money because um, she, she needed some money. And Ibsen said no. And not thinking that this would happen to her. She ended up borrowing money from somebody else without her husband's consent. And then her husband found out and she left and they put her in an institution. And then she ended up coming back to her husband um, after that. But Ibsen felt so awful and terrible about what happened that he wrote this play that kind of mirrors what happened to, to Keeler in her life. Wow. Oh, mm -hmm. I didn't realize there was that much background to it. Yeah. And Keeler, um, she became a writer. 
after she got out of the institution. Oh, neat. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of layers to this. Oh, so many, so many layers. <laughs> How would you, okay, so I know because there's, there's a doll's house and a doll's house too. And I know on one day, I think it was the 26th of mm-hmm. January, there's a double feature yes. that includes dinner. How would you, because it seems like it's a lot, it's a lot to take in. How would you recommend people go about experiencing both? Like, is it a one weekend this, one weekend that? Should they do it as, try to do it as the double feature? Because I think it's interesting to try to take it all in at the same time. And is there a talk back uh, with the double feature? Yes. So on the 26th, um, you can come at 2 o'clock to CFC Arts. The show starts at 2. Doll's House starts at 2 o'clock. And then after a Doll's House, you drive over to the Shakes. Um, and with the ticket at the Shakespeare Theater for Doll's House Part 2, you have a buffet dinner. And then right after the dinner is a talk back with both casts, uh, both Nora's and both, both Torvalds and both directors. And then you see Adult's House Part 2 at 7.30. Neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you don't want to spend the whole day at the theater because you have things to do, you know, because everybody has a life um, that they have to That's my understanding. Leave, yeah. Um, then I would, I mean, I would suggest, I would suggest seeing both of them, but on, on separate days. Great. Mm-hmm. All right, thank you. So we're going to, oh, and the place to go to learn more about that is dollshouseplay.com. You can also just search for Doll's House on the Facebook and the Instagrams and the uh, the Googles. The Googles. The multiple Googles that are out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so let's get back to dystopian futures. Absolutely. Let's turn to, we've got to talk about comics, but let's turn to movies for a second. Okay. Uh, there's no shortage of them. No. But let's just talk about a few that I'd written down. Now, there's a fine line between a true dystopian future. You look at it, we can joke about, oh, wouldn't it be nice to live in the Hunger Games and maybe District, maybe four, mm. right? No? Um, you want to go three? I don't know. You want to um, go one? I don't I don't actually know. Uh, I, I only <laughs> read the first Hunger Games, and that was five or six years ago. And I okay. honestly... You've never seen the movies. I mean, I've seen the movies. I've seen one and two, but I haven't seen the third one. And then like, like three B. So sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not. I'm not really sure. But I know that. I mean, it's bad enough in the first movie and the first book. Right. Yeah. But it's a, it's a cast system, right? Oh so yeah. So you have mm-hmm. the twelve districts, and one is great and rich and plentiful, and twelve is not a great place to live. Which is the which is the plentiful one? Number one. Number one. one. Oh, that makes sense because it's number yes. one. We're number one <laughs> up there, and so that's uh, you know we can joke about that, but then I see a future like Total Recall, the original with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh man! And I'm like, that doesn't look that bad. So Amber Weatherford of Potheads by Amber mentioned that as mm-hmm. dystopian future. I'm like, that is that is genuinely a pretty cool future. You've got robot taxis. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, you've got travel, space travel to Mars. Oh, yeah. Okay. You've got these incredible tunneling vehicles. So essentially, this is where Elon Musk got all of his ideas. You've also got uh, mutants where people grow out of the stomachs of other people. Oh. I don't know if you remember that. Um, Are you trying to push that out of your memory? I'm maybe? trying to... I'm trying to figure out how that would happen, like biologically. uh, On Mars, some of the people don't have enough uh, solar paneling, basically. Okay. So they become mutants. Okay. And uh, let's see, you also have um, 
Uh, really interesting technology, I think, is the biggest part of that. So I, I thought that was a pretty cool future in, yeah. in my mind. Um, a couple other ones that were suggested. I, I never saw this movie, Equilibrium. Uh, that was from Rye Perry. Oh, I didn't from see that From the uh, What's the Fuss podcast. Uh, Christian Bale, Tay Diggs. And it sounds like, or it looks like just from the initial reaction, a little bit of a ripoff of The Matrix came out about three years after that. Is that the one with the vampires? No, I know the one you're thinking of. Oh, that would be, I, I think that would be pretty interesting where the vampires have just taken over. Yeah. Completely. Somebody asked me the other day, they were like, would you, would you want to become a vampire? And I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, I, I would news love to become a vampire okay. because I'm just so hungry for like knowledge and like, I want to, I want to see, so I want to read not, every play ever written. I'm okay. Like, so it's yeah. not so much that you want to kill people oh. or uh, bite people or drink blood. Yeah. Those That's are like way down on the your, list. Okay. Yeah. You just want to live forever. Yeah. I want to live forever. I want to do like as much good as I can. I want to like open a nonprofit oh. that serves like other vampires <laughs> okay good 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 i love the food bank idea for the vampires i yeah. think that's something that's really uh, uh interesting um another one i was going to mention that is very cast based oh i'm sorry equilibrium is mm -hmm. the uh it's the future it's post-apocalyptic uh everyone takes drugs so that they don't have emotions and they don't they're not creative and they're not any of those things and finally obviously oh. rebellion breaks out uh, because everybody likes emotions. And I'm like, well, uh, maybe I don't want emotions <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> most of the time. It would be so much easier. 80, 80 to 90% of the time. And then, well, what I'm describing is the purge then. The other one <laughs> I wanted to talk about, which started out as a comic book, uh, as a, I think in Japan, and ended up being a movie, and now I think they're going to turn into a TV series, is Snowpiercer. Oh! And this is... It's one of those movies and, and um, uh, basically movie, uh, the comic book, the, the television show, where the plot is just so fantastical that it's, it, you're just there for the ride. And I don't mean that in any punny way since it's, it's put on, it's made on a train. But the idea is that just like Districts 1 through 12 in Hunger Games, the front of the train is uh, so it's the world has ended yeah the only thing left is this train and everything is super cold yeah so it has to keep moving uh-huh and everything in the front of the train are sort of the rich upper class uh people who have everything they need and the back of the train are the super poor okay. who do a lot of the work and are laborers and have to be and there's this balance they always have to strike because it's a it's a closed circuit it's a closed system. And so finally there's a rebellion where they move up the train. They basically go from the back to the front. And just to see some of the stuff that happens in between there, and it's it's really quite interesting. Um, and so I really like the movie. I want to go back and read uh, the manga at some point. Mm. And then I'm, I'm kind of excited about the uh, the television show as well. I didn't know that it was based on a manga. I thought there was just the, the movie with... Um Chris Evans. Yeah, yeah, which mm -hmm. was a big departure for him too because yeah. he was Captain America and all of these things mm -hmm. and heartthrobby and he was basically just filthy most of the time. I know. Tilda Swinton though. 
Yeah, was fantastic. Steals I, my heart every time. I can't remember her name. She was in newsroom as the as the school teacher. Oh, I don't know. And she was fantastic as well. So I know you're listening, whatever your name is, but uh, you were great too. You were an inspiration. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Uh, some other comics that came up. Uh, Catherine Parker suggested Transmetropolitan. Did you ever oh, read that no, one? No, I haven't. It's a really good one. It's uh, set in the future. Uh, it's sort of more cyberpunk than anything else. Oh, that's neat. And the hero, the anti-hero, is uh, Spider Jerusalem. He's a journalist. So he feels like the power of his words and, you know, bringing to light some of the stuff that goes on uh, is uh, will be helpful. So I thought one of the more interesting um, components of it was they were, a lot of it revolves around politics Mm -hmm. and him uncovering things. And so they're trying to find the best political candidates. So they start growing them. So, yeah. So (laughs) they come out of these genetically engineered pods with only like six years worth of memories and experience and background. So you don't have any weird thing with your calendar and your friends in high school and drinking um, or any of that stuff because you're just, you're, you're essentially a grown person, but you're only six years old. Wow. So so weird to think about. Yeah. And kind of nice too. Like, could we do that? Like you wouldn't have to go through all like the literal growing pains. Correct. Yeah. Do you become sentient once you reach adulthood or do you have to like feel everything as you're growing? No, no, no. I think they have uh, sort of preset memories that are put in them in like a background story. So like that for you and I as writers, Mm -hmm. we could write their background story and implant the memories. And, you know, we could be a little bit subversive and subtle in some of the stuff that that we do. Yeah. So obviously, again, the future opens up a lot of job opportunities Oh yeah, for people like you and I who like to be subversive. <laughs> um, the other one, uh, Chris Crespo of Cinnamon Crespadiso mentioned Judge Dredd. Uh, so that's an interesting one. So oh, okay. that's where all these cities have, uh, you know, mega cities have become the norm and everybody, mm-hmm. millions and billions of people live in sort of one area. And so they change the way that law enforcement and the justice system works so that there are judges that do everything and they're on the streets and they're on motorcycles and flying cars, of course, and they have a gun. And if they decide you're guilty right there, uh, they can shoot you. Wow. Yeah. I, at first I was like, oh, that's kind of like 1984, which is nice because it lulls you to sleep with the sense of security. But that actually sounds pretty scary. It's kind of like killing five birds with one stone. That is what I always like to do. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be as efficient as possible with my stone because I only have the one. Yeah. And so if I can kill several birds, I'm a pretty happy dude. Always. Yeah. Just save so much time. So much energy can be saved. So many energies. Oh, so many. Do you have any favorite sort of uh, movies that are dystopian futures or at least set in the future, sci-fi or otherwise? Oh, gosh. Well, I do love um, Blade Runner. Blade Runner? Yeah. Um, (laughs) I can't... Oh, Brazil. One of the best ones. Yeah, as far as a man, just a trip for your brain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love love Brazil. Um, I love Fahrenheit 451. Sure. Um, Because everyone needs to keep warm. 
Oh yeah, definitely. That was the that was the the sort of the underlying theme, right? Yeah, everybody was really cold, so they just burned books. Yeah. <laughs> Am I wrong in that? Well, it's I mean, they have firemen and the firemen don't put out fires. They they, they set the fires. fires. Yeah. 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 It's cold nobody's in the al- nobody's allowed to have books. So they just burn everything. Any sort of media, like records, books, newspapers, right. yeah. What I like about that is you know, there's so many things to listen to. There's so many things to read. If we could simplify that a uh-huh. little bit, I'd be pretty happy. Hair down, lead a minimalist lifestyle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really what it is. It's just they're getting ready for tiny houses. Oh, yeah, of course. So you got to burn a bunch of stuff. Yeah, all you got to do. Storage units. Get Come an on. e-reader. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like one of the, I'm so against, personally, I'm so against e-readers. Yeah. Because they're so hard to like, handle i just i i love the feel of a book in my hands because i can write in it and well and you're getting ready for a dystopian future where there yeah. may not be electricity mm-hmm. right uh, yeah yeah yep i could see that as well um one other one i wanted to mention personally was uh demolition man i don't know if you remember that oh sylvester stallone and wesley snipes because it had a pretty interesting take on a few things is this the movie with Sandra Bullock? Yes. Oh, my God. And then they talk about the franchise wars. And Taco Bell was the only Taco one. Taco Bell, <laughs> the other one, of course. I was going to mention this movie. If you want uh, a franchise to win, who's it going to be? Probably Taco Bell. Taco Bell. It's the freshest ingredients. Yeah. As yep. far as we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not in the kitchen. You don't know. <laughs> you just have to trust there's, you know. But what I, what could I eat every day with some level of variety? It's going to have to be probably Taco Bell. Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing was there were just a lot of really neat little touches in the movie. I mean, the, the movie was a standard 90s action movie. Yeah. Um, but there were a lot of neat touches like in the when they're dealing with people in the kiosk and they're trying to figure out money. Um, but the other one was he goes to the bathroom. And if I remember correctly, there's just these three little shells on the wall and he's looking at it going... I, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. Because future, you've just got shells on the wall. Wow. That, that is really weird. Yeah. So oh. they had some fun with that. Do you remember a movie called Space Truckers? I don't. Are you sure this is a movie and not just a fever dream that you have? <laughs> no, I mean, it may be a fever dream. Um, but the only thing I remember about it is that there are these truckers in space uh-huh. that drive these huge cargo ships full of livestock and the opening scene to the movie. I I'm the way I remember it correctly. I think I saw this when I was like nine or 10. It's been a long time, <laughs> 20 years. So <laughs> like he's driving this huge like rig in space and it's full of square pigs. It's like the, the pigs in these cages are square. Are square. That's yeah. convenient. Uh-huh. So is this something you're looking forward to in the future? Is uh, animals that you can get in different shapes? No, I I would like all animals to retain their current shapes and be healthy. Um, I right. like how round pigs are. Okay. What about uh, vegetables and fruits? Can we make those into, can we GMO those things into different shapes? I think GMO would be um, the... The hardest and most costly, perhaps, but if you did get glass containers and grow the vegetables 
in the glass Within container. Them, right. Yeah. But it was, you know, it's like a locking thing. So mm-hmm. the glass container can open halfway and then you like put the vegetable or this, this, the fruit in yeah. and then you close it. And then yeah. when it's time to pick the fruit, you just open it and you take the fruit out and it's shaped like a bottle or like a, a snail or something. So what I like about that and the reason I bring it up is because I feel like we're going to have to look for alternate ways to teach kids in this dystopian future. There may not be an education system or anything. Mm -hmm. So if we can GMO the fruits and vegetables into shapes now, then we can teach them about uh, squares and circles and Pythagoras and those sorts of things. And eating healthy at the same time. One thousand percent. Because what Mm -hmm. are we going to do in the future at first is just hunt down Twinkies and other stuff that doesn't go bad. Yeah. Uh, hashtag zombie land. Mm-hmm. And, but if we have these fruit and vegetables ready to go, zombie resistant, uh, disease resistant, meteoroid resistant, whatever it is that the, the thing is going to super volcano out of Yellowstone national park resistant. That's a lot of things that it has to resist, but we have to just create this. Yeah. We can teach, we can teach teach children. our children well. Yeah, with geometry, children can get so excited about geometry. If it's, it's in like, their fruit, we give them a snack at the end of math class. No, what if geometry is in the fruit itself? Can we GMO that in there too? Geometry lessons. Yeah, yeah, just a paper, like a, a tiny little textbook inside a pepper. <sighs> I like it. <laughs> I like it. We should do that. Okay. Any other? I want to talk a little bit more about Doll's House, but any other? Books, movies, comics, dystopian futures that we need to talk. Oh, oh, music. Go ahead, please. Oh, The Wrenchies is an ama- I don't even remember the name of the author and uh, the artist and the writer, but The Wrenchies is one of my favorite graphic novels. I'm not a huge comic book person, mm-hmm. like like serialized comic books. I love graphic novels. Um, the Wrenchies is a, is a dystopian fantasy kind of future Um it's, it's so fascinating, and the art is so beautiful. I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, I can't, gosh, I can't think of anything else right now off the, off the top of my head. Oh, no, that's fine. It's not like I gave you, the, uh, I mean, I invited you on last year and said, this is the topic, please do some research. I knew you were going to be busy in that year, but it's totally fine that you didn't. I'm just kidding. We talked about this like two days ago. Um, it's totally cool. So music <laughs> Uh, so I thought this was really interesting is there's a lot of tie-ins uh, to uh, mu- uh, to dystopian futures mm-hmm. and stories about dystopian futures in music. So I didn't even realize, for example, I haven't, I haven't read 1984, mm. but several songs from Radiohead, especially 2 plus 2 equals 5, oh. is uh, specific to uh, 1984. That makes sense. Um, there is a song by Rush off of one of their more famous albums, 2120 or 2112, I should say, hmm. is about a dystopian future. Uh, but I was reading Mark with a C, uh, who's a local musician, suggested uh, the uh, album One Outside. So One Period Outside okay. by David Bowie. And it was sort of him getting back together with Brian Eno to make uh, music again. Mm-hmm. So this was 95. Brian Eno, yeah. And so what he thought about doing, he got very... Um, he he thought he could do this, but uh, I don't think he ended up doing it, uh, was do an album a year leading up to the millennium because mm. they both thought this is a pretty big deal. So yeah. what is this going to be like and how do we tell this story? So there's a lot of long discussions. There was a lot of uh, things that they were doing together, trying new things. Um, so at one point he wrote, uh, Bowie did this entire diary 
of this character named Nathan Adler, who was set in sort of this, even though it was only five years away, it was still a dystopian future. And he was trying to solve uh, the murder of someone. And so it was very interesting, the backstory. I encourage everybody to go read about it because I'll get it all wrong. But the thing that really I found fascinating was the way he was writing music for this. He and uh, Brian Eno was producing um, is he would come in. He would kind of have an idea of what he wanted the song to be about that day. But him and the musicians would write it that day. He didn't write anything beforehand. Oh, wow. Um, and so he would write it as they were going along. So some of the songs are more spoken word mm -hmm. and some of them are songs. So I thought that was a really interesting way of, uh, of approaching things. And I, I guess as a songwriter yourself, how, what is your approach to songwriting? Could you imagine doing something like that, especially with other people? Um, I have never, well, my approach to songwriting is, um, I don't know. Sometimes it's really mish, mis mismatched. Mish, 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 It's very yeah. mish, mish. Um, sometimes I'll start out with a chord that I really like, um, or like a, a strumming pattern or, uh, like t tabs, um, like plucking. Um, and then sometimes I'll start out with a subject that I, I want to write about. Um, I, the song that I have been trying to write for the past three months, but I haven't had time. It's about Bell Sorensen Gunnis, who was a, a serial killer, like in the early 1900s. Mm -hmm. Um, and I haven't, I haven't found a, a music for it yet. Um, I've just written the lyrics. And, but I was writing in the most recent production I was in called the Penelopea that was at Valencia College. Um, the, it was a collaborative process because there's, Margaret Atwood wrote the play and she wrote lyrics to songs, but she doesn't include music. And so um, a few of the girls in the cast wrote, well, there was one song that was written by everyone. And then, um, I wrote one of the songs, If I Was a Princess, the music for the song, and then I wrote the music for another song called um, The Wily Sea Captain. And that was really collaborative because uh, Monica Mulder, who was on the show with uh, th this show, your show, My last show. year, around this time, yep. yeah, with me, um, she she wrote one of the songs as well. The, um, it was called... Oh... Uh, Dreamboats. It's called Dreamboats. And then she she also developed a strumming pattern uh, for the Wiley Sea Captain that she ended up using in the show. Um, and and so that was a really collaborative process that was really interesting to take like a strumming pattern and then like music, like chord progressions that I had and then a strumming pattern that she had and we kind of like blended them together. That was that was really cool. Um, yeah, but songwriting is, is such a weird, it's nothing for me is very formulaic. Like even writing isn't formulaic. I'll start with, like writing a play, mm. um, it'll start with like an idea or sometimes it'll just start with like an opening comment or question. Um, to a line that's somehow stuck in your yeah. head. Somebody has said at one point or something like that. You're mm -hmm. like, what is, what was the next thing that was said? Yeah. Sometimes it'll start with a title. Like I know that for, for Dolph has part two, Lucas Nath did an interview with um, CBS Sunday morning. And he was like, I got the idea to write a Doll's House Part 2 because I wrote down, he was like, I wrote down the title Doll's House Part 2 and it made me laugh. And so I decided to write the play. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit more about a Doll's House. We got to go. And you've been wonderful, Ashley and Gardner. Thank you so much. So we could see you this weekend and for a couple more weekends uh, at a Doll's House at CFC Arts. Yes. 
and uh, tell us a little bit more. Tell us. Tell me. Because there's nobody else here. Yeah, it's just you and me and the. Equipment. I mean, there's a live studio audience, but they don't. They've been really silent They're today. Really quiet. I don't know. I've been trying my hardest to get something out of them. You know what we need? What? One of those applause signs. They don't know what to do because it's not on a sign. <gasps> that is right. 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 No one's nodding. Yeah. No one's doing anything. They're very tired. Yeah. It is. Is it is the most dystopian time of day. <laughs> so, a doll's house. Uh, dollshouseplay.com dollshouseplay.com what else should we know about it besides we should go um, let's see we we have so many other wonderful actors in the show um, John Edward Palmer is in the show he plays uh, Dr. Um, Jens Rank and Lexi Hogue who works at the Shakespeare Theater she plays Helena um, Kate Murray plays Anna and uh, my friend Noelle um, Noelle Gates she plays Christina. And in the show, so we've we've opted to... So Christina's name is spelled Christine and Helena's name is spelled Helene, like with E's at the end of mm-hmm. their name. But we have opted to use the um, the Swedish um, pronunciation, which is like adding the, like Helena and Christina. Um, so yeah, so if you hear that, then that's what that means. <laughs> We're um, hopefully not mispronouncing anything, but we've opted to use that pronunciation. Oh, um, Let's see. I also, um, I've also been working on the set over at CFC uh, during during my break, and it's so it's so wonderful. Everybody over there is so dedicated, and Donald Roop and uh, Jake Tushera and everybody over there at the theater. They're just like working every single day to get the set where it needs to be. Um, yeah, it's it's just really beautiful. Um, and if you if you want to read a doll's house before you come see the show. Um, I mean, you can if you want to, but if you want to come in like cold turkey, then, you know, just just do it. Just have a good time. Don't worry about it. Go get some dinner beforehand. Just come in relaxed. Hang out. I mean, go with someone you want to talk to about it afterwards, that sort of thing. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So go in relaxed. Mm-hmm. Have some dinner beforehand. Yeah. I think uh, that's the optimal way. Mm-hmm. I like it. Ashley, thank you so much for being here. Uh, we got to leave. Okay. I'm sorry to say. All right. I got to release you back out into the world. Uh, Next week, uh, Jesse James Allen will be here and we'll be talking about projection mapping and cars and being geeks. And yeah, so that'll be really fun. I'm really looking forward to that interview as well. Cool. I don't know Jesse all that well, so I get to know him a lot better. This is really just for me. I mean, I know I got the live audience here, but, you know, this is for me to have fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's what's your Monday morning without a little fun? Thanks, live audience. <sighs> Whatevs. All right, let's play one more song. This is Cosmic Wink from Jess Williamson. The very first song on here is called See the While. S E A I see the while. I see read that. What is I see the white. Oh, got it. The, oh, it's the white. The white. This the, cover art is Really ace. good. All right. And you'll hear that on WPRK, Winter Park, Florida. You've been listening to Odd Numbers. Thank you so much for listening. That was Odd Numbers. Ashley Ann Gardner is out and about in Orlando, acting, writing, directing, and playing music. You should follow her. And if a doll's house is still running when you listen to this, go check it out. There's really nothing left to say but goodbye. Well, 
and let you know that you should follow to a certain degree on the social media and subscribe to the podcast and generally validate my existence. We just talked dystopian futures for two hours. I could use a hug, one in the form of a like on Facebook. 